Today, I want to set the tension right off the top with my sermon title. All right? We're in a series called Not Mine. It's a series that speaks to this idea, this biblical worldview of stewardship, that we are stewards of what God has given us. He is our source. He is our provider. And so I want to set the tension right off the top with the the sermon title. Are you ready? Are you going to be able to track with me? Sermon title is, Not My Money. Write it down. Write it down. Trust. You know, trust is a tricky thing, isn't it? Trust, it runs on a sliding scale depending on who you're trusting and what you're trusting them with. There's all these variables when it comes to trust. So so let me me illustrate it this way. You might say, I trust my 13-year-old babysitter to watch my kids for the evening while we go out. But then you might say, but I don't trust the 13-year-old babysitter for the whole weekend while we go off to the island or off on a trip. It's a bit of a sliding scale. Like when, I, when I, I'm in Powell River, there's times where I will be in a coffee shop and I need to go use the restroom and I will just ask a stranger, hey, would you mind just watching my stuff? I'm just going to head off to the restroom. Okay, when I'm in the city... I don't do that. I literally pack everything up, put it in my backpack, and bring it into the washroom with me. Trust is a funny thing. Trust, it's on a sliding scale. I believe that with everything and everyone that we interact with in this world, there's a sliding scale of trust that's determined by many variables. Except one relationship. The only category of relationship that is exempt from trust on a sliding scale is humanity's relationship with God. God is perfectly trustworthy in every variable of relationship, even your money. The sermon today, it's unique. I don't often do this. Actually, I can, I can count on maybe not even a hand, maybe one finger how often I've done this. But I'm just, I'm retooling a sermon that I preached here back in 2017. But I want to come at it from a different angle. I want to come at it around this position of trust. Do we trust God? Do we trust God in every area of our lives? And if you're taking notes, write this down. The principle of first fruits is really a principle of trust. We're going to talk about what that means. The principle of first fruits is really a principle of trust. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Exodus chapter 13. We're going to start verse 1, and then we're going to jump over to verse 11. So if you have your Bibles, Exodus chapter 13, and we'll be starting with verse 1. The Lord said to Moses... Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Now let's jump over to verse 11. 
When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. Now some of you may look at this and go, you know, God has sort of a dark side. Um, and, and sometimes reading the scriptures, they can bring us to these places of God that kind of seem so odd. But in order to understand this, we need to understand sin. We need to understand the curse, the brokenness of this world, and the price that had to be paid to redeem us. The reality of, of what sin did when it entered the world at the beginning, the, the fact that the cure of sin and death affects everything in this life, but we are also confronted with the principle of God's design in this world that doesn't always sit well with us, especially with our humanity in our brokenness. And it's this, blessing seems to be found on the other side of sacrifice. Blessing seems to be found on the other side of sacrifice. Moses is instructed by God to walk in this principle of first fruits. And we see this principle at work from the very beginning of creation. The unclean needs to be redeemed. And we're, and we're going to be going with a working definition, definition of redemption that's, that's found in the Lexham Bible Dictionary. And it says this, redemption means the release of people, animals, or property from bondage through the payment of a price. The release of people, animals, or property from bondage through the payment of of a price. In fact, there are two words, two Hebrew words that, that this word is rooted in. And the first means to redeem, and the second means to ransom. To redeem, to ransom. And, and thinking about this from a biblical perspective, the perspective that Israel had around the idea of redemption, there's this working assumption that creation is held ransom by the curse of sin and death. Creation is held ransom by the curse of sin and death. Whether it's our souls, our time, our relationships, or our stuff, there's this assumption that we are all held ransom and there's a demanded payment for that. So here's what would happen. If you had a sheep give birth for the first time to a male lamb, that male lamb was to be sacrificed. If it was an unclean animal, like a donkey, that was an example. So a donkey was an unclean animal. So you could not sacrifice the donkey. So you would have to, on behalf of the donkey, substitute in a lamb to redeem that donkey. And if you did not redeem that donkey, you had to break its neck. Okay? This is the law of Moses now. Keep in mind that everything is about Jesus. 
All of scripture leads us to Jesus. And the question is, were you born clean or unclean into this world? Were you born clean or, what's the biblical worldview? Were you born clean or unclean into this world? Unclean. Unclean, which, which is interesting because in our culture, that doesn't sit well with us because we are really caught up with this idea of the innocence of children. That children are innocent, that they are somehow righteous and holy, but the biblical worldview says they're not. And if you have any questions about that, if you've had kids, did any of you have to teach them to be bad? There's a default in humanity, a propensity towards brokenness rather than righteousness. So we're unclean, the biblical worldview. Each of us has been born unclean since the fall in the garden, and so God had to do something about that. Now get this, he gives his first and only son the firstborn of Mary, Mary a virgin, whose womb is opened by a firstborn son. Born of the Spirit, and then Jesus ultimately is sacrificed for the sins of the world. God himself operated and walked out the principle of first fruits towards humanity. The perfect lamb to be sacrificed on our behalf, the unclean, that we, we might be made clean, allowing us to have the blessing of eternal life. And all through scripture, we see this principle of the first and the covering that comes because of the first being given. What happens when we're redeemed? There's a covering of the blood, right? God the Father sees us through the sacrificial son, and he sees us as righteous and holy because of Jesus' work. The principle of first fruits is really a principle of trust, but it's also a principle of redemption. The principle of first fruits is really a principle of redemption. And I can only imagine that after a few generations of this sacrificial system, that, that the young men and women would begin to ask the question, like, why are we doing this? This makes no economical sense. Why in the world would you take the first of a lamb, the first male lamb, and kill it? Doesn't it make more sense to have ten of them rather than nine of them? Doesn't it make more sense to wait until all ten are born and then sacrifice one? Just so you know that you got at least nine. Notice what Moses says in response to this inevitability that the next generations were going to begin to question. He says this in Exodus 13, 14. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. In other words, son, daughter, when we were in slavery, we had nothing. In fact, we were owned by a foreign state. And the sacrifice of these animals is gladly done because now we have everything. And we attribute that to God, our Redeemer, our Savior. 
The principle of first fruits is the same directive, and it carries with it the same principle. The unclean must be redeemed by the clean. A releasing of people, animals, or property from bondage through the payment of a price. And this principle, when lived out, is powerful, and we need to take notice. And I say powerful, I don't say easy. I say powerful. The principle of first fruits is really a principle of redemption. Write this down. The first fruits must be brought to God. The first fruits must be brought to God. In Exodus 23, 19, it says, The best of the first fruits of your ground shall, shall you bring into the storehouse of the Lord your God. In Proverbs 3, 9 to 10, it says, Honor the Lord. And this is what we, we, we read before in worship. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So what are the first fruits? This is what we refer to as the tithe. The tithe means one-tenth or 10% of your increase. In other words, the tithe is 10% of your income. In Malachi 3, 7 to 10, it says, Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and your contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And therefore, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. There's, there's a few principles when it, when it comes to first fruits and to the tithe. The first fruits must be brought to God. We, we've been talking about this worldview that, that nothing is yours, not mine. This concept that all is God's and he's entrusted it to us, this idea of stewardship. God, God owns the tithe. Did you know that? God owns the tithe. God says, I have given you everything, so honor me with 10%. Recognize me with 10%. Trust me with 10%. If you catch this principle, it'll change your life. I can promise you that because the word of God promises that. Notice God doesn't say through the prophet, give the tithe. He says, bring the tithe. There's a nuance at play here that's so important to understand. To give is from a position of ownership. To bring is from a position of stewardship. He says, bring your tithe. The first fruits must be brought to God. Remember the sacrifice of the first and the redemption of the unclean. When you tithe, you bring the first fruits to God and he in turn redeems the 90% that he's entrusted to you to steward. Now catch this. You can keep the tithe. But the problem with that is it all remains under the hold of this world, according to Malachi the prophet. Now, I don't believe that God gives an extra special curse. I don't believe that. I, I don't believe that when we don't tithe, that somehow God, like, gives some extra, a little extra heat, a little extra curse. No, it just simply remains under the curse of this broken world. 
part of the journey of looking more and more like Jesus is to begin to release the things of this world in a way that they don't hold our hearts any longer. They don't remain idols before us. We don't worship them ahead of our worship of the creator God. And so there's this idea that as we release what is God's, he walks in the redemption of the things that we are left with to steward and to be trusted with. When we tithe, we bring the first fruits to God. We set apart the 10% because it's an act of trust. It's an act of redemption. It's an act of worship. And it's an act of obedience. Remember, the first fruits brings redemption and blessing to the rest. So either you can have 100% of your stuff under the curse or 90% of it redeemed and blessed. Lisa and I, we had a season in our lives, and I shared this a few years ago. We had a season in our lives in our very first uh, place of ministry, and Marcus and I were talking about just, um, it, was, it, was, it was tight. Uh, we, I, I did not get paid. I got, I got paid peanuts. I don't know how we survived. And it was so easy one month to just go, you know, we just can't afford to tithe. We just, we're not going to make it. We just, and so we, we, you know, in our early 20s with the tithe, one month. And then we withheld it two months. And it got so easy to kind of begin to hold back on what God had called us to do in obedience. What's interesting about that story is, is everything, everything crashed. Everything crashed. Like, like, I don't have time to even get into how bad it got. Um, like, we ran away from ministry. We ran away from, in a lot of ways, we ran away from church. We, we quit. We, we resigned. We left. We, it just got so bad. And when we finally got back into ministry about a year and a half later, we said, that's never going to happen again. We're going to trust God with this journey. And we're going to trust God with our finances. And since that day, we have been faithful to tithe. And God has been faithful to sustain us. Bringing the tithe is a statement of trust in our God as our provider. When you give your tithe, your first fruits, you are making a statement to God and to yourself that God is your provision. Did you know that God is your provider? Your workplace, and I've talked about this, your workplace is not your provider. Your direct deposit from your job is not your provider. Your pension payment is not your provider. Your investments are not your provider. God is your provider. His name is provider. And I mentioned how easy it became to justify not bringing our first fruits. 
And for some of you, the reason is fear. You just look at the reality of your finances and you go, it's not there. And it's fear. And I know it. I know that feeling because I've walked through it. And I let fear get the best of me. But can I promise you that God's not going to let you down? He's going to see you through because he is your provider. Malachi makes a statement that's unique to all of Scripture. And it's here in this passage that we just read in in verse 10 of of chapter 3 of Malachi. Bring the full tithe in the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And therefore put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more. The principle of first fruits of the tithe is the only place in all of Scripture that God gives permission for his people to test him. Now, there's a few things that stand in the way. Love of money. Perhaps this is why Jesus talked more about money than heaven and hell combined. Because there's this danger when our hearts turn to money as our provider and our security and our source. It's been said when you loosen your grip on money, money loosens its grip on you. And for some of you, the thing standing in your way is is giving. Maybe it's not that you're not giving. And, And you allow just giving as your justification not to bring what is God's. Because it's so easy to feel like we're being generous. I don't know if you remember a few Months ago, we talked about the definition of generosity. And if generosity doesn't hurt, it's not biblical generosity. If sacrifice is not involved in your generosity, it's not a biblical worldview of generosity. If you give necessarily just out of your excess, it's not a biblical definition of generosity. Generosity always carries with it sacrifice. Like I said before, you don't give the tithe, you bring it into the storehouse. And the storehouse in the New Testament reality is about the local gathering of faith, the local church fueling the mission that the local church is on. And for some, perhaps that's the dilemma. Perhaps you can't get behind your local church. Can I just say, if you're waiting to find a perfect church to begin to bring your tithe to, you're you're never going to walk in the principle of first fruits. You just won't. And can I say, if, if if you can't buy into the mission and the vision of your local church, even if it's this one, then maybe you need to find another and then start bringing the tithe into the storehouse. Because what God is going to do in your heart and in your life and in your family far outweighs whether your butts are in seats in a particular place. For some, it's this idea that the tithe is being under the law and we are no longer under the law but under grace. Don't worry, I'm going to address that in a few minutes. I'll let you sit in that tension for a little bit. To give away 10% of your income seems in this world like a crazy thing to do, yet God promises that he will bless the 90% that you are left with as steward. 
But that is secondary to the main heart transformation that happens in giving. Money will loosen its grip on your heart and your trust in God as provider will deepen. The principle of first fruits is really a principle of trust. And this leads us to our last point. The tithe must be first. All through scripture, we see this principle at work. Some some of you will remember the account of Israel taking the promised land. The Israelites go in and take the promised land. and, And what does God say? Give me the silver and the gold of Jericho. You remember that? And why Jericho? Because it was the first city. It was the first city. Now the account continues where a man named Achan keeps some of the plunder from Jericho and he hides it. And when they go to the next city to attack it, they get just defeated. And Joshua goes, what is going on? And God reveals to him that Achan had taken it for himself. And they dealt with him. Now, that was Old Testament, so he died. (laughs) Remember, everything points to Jesus. Sin, curse, equals death. And yet when they went on after dealing with that, they were victorious and victorious and victorious, and they took the land. Think back to Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel are the sons of Adam and Eve, and, and they're both, they both bring a sacrifice to God. And one sacrifice, God accepts, and the other he rejects. And you might ask why. Well, Genesis 4, 3. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the first fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the first fruit of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Sorry, I, I, I added a word there. I saw, I had in my head, it did not say first fruit. That's the point. Brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Okay, so consider an orchard. Consider what are the first fruits? The fruits that you climb a ladder, and you take them off the tree, and you fill your buckets, and you bring the first fruits. What are the seconds of an orchard? Getting that stuff so the bear doesn't get it. And then taking it and bringing it as your offering to the Lord. Cain brought an offering, but Abel brought the firstborn of his flock. And God looks favorably and what Abel brought, but he disregards what Cain gave. God honors the first fruits and he blesses the rest. Think, think back to the sacrificing of the firstborn. He doesn't say, breed your animals, and when you have ten offspring, then sacrifice the first. No, he, he says, in a time when the mother may never have another baby, you might not get anything out of, she might not produce anything else. You take that first male and you give it. You sacrifice it. So what does that mean for us? When I was looking at this sermon, this, I, I, it's funny how you can read things so many times and, and then every once in a while the Holy Spirit just gets you. And as I was preparing this this week, that's what exactly what the Holy Spirit did. Um, right now our house is just is disgusting. It's just pee and poop and 
and we have we have puppies. We have a bunch of puppies that our our dog gave birth to, and 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 God convicted me of something, and maybe better off convinced me of something this week. And we've been we've been like selling and taking deposits and stuff, and 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 the Lord just kind of spoke to me, and He said, "You need to operate in this principle of first. Because normally, here's what I would, here's how I would operate. I would make sure that we sell all of our puppies for what we want to get for them, and then I take that total number and I go back retroactively and then tithe on it, right? Yeah, take that number, ten percent. Here's the tithe. God spoke to me this week and He said, "No, you need to give before you even get all those puppies offloaded." You need to give what you're anticipating your 10% to be today. Okay, Lord. But here's the deal. Do I trust him? Do I trust that he's my provider? Do I trust that I will walk in the blessing of redeeming the broken things of this world as I walk in the principles of his word? Do I trust that he will come through? Today I believe that the word of God inspired by the spirit of God wants to convince us of that same truth. That we do not trust God on a sliding scale that he is perfectly trustworthy in every area of our lives. He just is. When you're told by the enemy or your insecurity or your lack of belief that you can't afford to bring the first fruits, our answer needs to be we can't afford not to. We can't afford not to. Because my mortgage company is not going to bless my finances. BC Hydro is not going to multiply my 90%. It's funny, as a pastor, it's always interesting preaching on money. And I've, I've embraced the tension. It is a tension, I won't lie. It's a tension. But I've embraced the tension. You can think what you want. And that's okay. Because my job is to lead you in the principles of God's word, looking more and more like Jesus each day. So I can't apologize for that. But I get the tension. Many of you are sitting there going, well, you get, you get paid. You get, your paycheck comes from this church. So by extension, your paycheck comes from my giving. And that's true. That's true. I'll acknowledge that. But I'll also say to you, you're not my provider. You don't provide for my family. God's my provider. And he is faithful and he'll always be faithful. And it's taken many years to grow into that level of trust and that level of convincing by the spirit that I can trust him. But he's my provider. 
but I'll acknowledge it. But this is key, and don't miss this. When it comes to this finances, because we talk about multiplication, and we, we've heard so many preachers just talk about money in such a one-dimensional way. And we all know those preachers out there. Preach about money and multiplying, and if you, you know, you're blessed and you're going to receive the blessing and he's going to multiply, shake it down and all, right? We, we do all of this. But I love, I love what Pastor Craig Rochelle says when it comes to generosity and giving and walking in these principles because I think it really gives balance. He says this, we don't give to increase our standard of living. We give to increase our standard of giving. Blessed to be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. We bring our first fruits to honor God, and in turn, he blesses the rest that we may be a blessing. In conclusion, I promised that I would talk and speak to the tension of those who are saying, well, we're not under the law, so I don't have to. And that's fine. But I, I want to just unpack maybe just some thoughts around that. Abraham, there's this moment where he's visited by the Lord and, and a couple of angels. And in this moment, Scripture tells us that Abraham, 500 plus years before the law was declared, gave a tenth of all that he had to the Lord. Genesis 14, 20. Jacob, Abraham's son, gave a tenth to God 400 years before the law. There was no one telling them, you have to do this. Jacob gave a tenth. In Genesis 28, 20 to 22, says, Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and the clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. 400 years before a law told them they had to walk in that principle of first fruits. We already talked about Cain and Abel, who gave thousands of years prior to the law being given. And listen, this principle even existed before there was a need for the law, before sin even entered the world. If you think back to the Garden of Eden, God says, You can eat of any tree, any tree. This is all yours to steward and to caretake. But this one tree, do not eat of it. They were given stewardship over all except one tree. And listen, all the law did was reveal to us the ways and the principles of God and our shortcomings in light of it. 
It reveals our need for a savior, but the coming of Jesus did not eradicate the law. No, in, in no uncertain terms, he completed the law. The expectation is to be redeemed by Jesus and to walk in the redemptive practices of knowing him. There's this outflow of knowing Jesus. And here's the question. Is is murder okay now that we're under grace? Of course not. But murder is a part of the law. Thou shalt not kill. Is adultery under the law okay now that we're under grace? Of course not. You know what? Jesus on both of these raises the stakes. It used to be under the law that you had to sleep with your neighbor's wife in order to be guilty And then Jesus comes and says, no, if you even lust after her in your thought life, you are under judgment of this law. When it comes to the tithe, there's an interesting verse, and Jesus is speaking to the Sadducees and the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 23. And this brings it to a head for me. And he says this, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Jesus speaks to the tithe. Now, what was happening in that time is they were tithing, but then they were just being idiots in all other areas of life. But Jesus even affirms, yeah, you should. You should tithe. But without neglecting the weightier matters as you live out this journey of faith. You can ask the worship team to come. And as they come, let's just, let's just bow our heads and listen. It's funny, life, life change doesn't happen because you heard someone give a profound speech. Life change only happens when the Holy Spirit convinces us of something. Because when you do something out of pressure and guilt, it doesn't lead to joy. You know, God delights in those that give with gladness. Well, guilt doesn't lead to gladness. It doesn't lead to joy. But when the Holy Spirit does it, when the Holy Spirit does it, changes everything. When he convinces us of truth, when he calls us to something more, when he identifies areas of our soul or our journey where we don't trust him, he can do a deep work. I'm not going to lie. 
The reality is we are a part of a movement. We are an organization that needs to fund mission. <laughs> That's a reality. But friends, that reality is secondary to what God does in our hearts and our lives when we give. Secondary to how he changes us, changes our perspectives, changes our priorities, causes us to look more and more like Jesus and to walk in the redemptive acts that Jesus calls us to. So Holy Spirit, just have your way. Have your way. Lord, would you dispel fear? Because you've not given us the spirit of fear, Lord. Would you dispel fear? Would you, Lord God, like kings of old, give us the courage to tear down idols? Lord, if money is an idol to us, would you reveal that? And would you give us the courage to tear it down? Lord, if if our stuff is our security, Lord, would you reveal your glory? Would you reveal your glory that we would see our meager stuff contrasted with the glory of Almighty God? Now we would look to you because you are worthy. Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. Lord, I thank you for those in this room that are faithful in bringing the tithe. Lord, would you bless them abundantly? As you've done a work of opening up their hands, Lord, it's a work of trust both ways that they can be trusted with more to be a blessing. Lord, would you multiply unto them more that they may in turn grow in generosity in Jesus' name. And Lord, for those who perhaps are just gonna 
take that leap of faith in first fruits and walking in a principle that you call us to. Lord, would you show yourself so faithful? In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.